Welcome, everyone, to Anarchy in Spurs. I think as every one of these episodes go, that is just going to get more and more drawn out. It's going to get more ridiculous is what it's going to get. Yeah. At some point, it's going to be like a 30-minute long Yeah. I might just record one that's 30 minutes long, so it's just there. Yeah, that is Mr. Eric Kyler you're hearing. I am Nikki B. We are here to talk about The Expanse and... We're starting season two today. Yes. Episode number 11 for us, episode number 11 for them. Yep. And who boy, what an episode it was. Yep, got a lot of stuff packed into this one. Lots of fun stuff. Starts off right off the bat, introducing like a new character. Yep. Bobby Gunny Draper. Yep. I love that character. And what I love about him is that in any, I don't know how they managed to avoid this, but generally, like you can tell that that was specifically a, an SJW move. She's there to have a powerful woman in the show. Yeah, pretty much. But they write her character well enough that, like... You forgive it a little bit, yeah. Yeah, you're not taken out of the show, which is... That's the rare thing. Like, they give you enough writing to make it make sense. Yeah, she did have a really good quote right at the beginning. It was like, I don't use sex as a weapon. I use weapons as weapons. Oh, I know. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and, and we're, we're, we're essentially, in this world, we're to believe that she is, you know... The the most badass Martian Marine there is. Yep. As a woman. Doom guy is the only first one, right? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so clearly there's like some agenda going on there. That being said, I think that they do well to kind of keep it to a minimum. But that is where you you start off in a place where you just get to see how badass Gunny Draper is. Yep. And she's running through a field being shot at and just misses all the bullets and nothing can touch her. She takes out every one of the weapons all at once and yeah. Yeah, pretty sweet set of power armor going on in this show. <laughs> uh, the the Martian power armor is pretty dope. Yeah. And and Gunny's pretty hot in this season. I forgot like how hot she was in the beginning. <laughs> she she's never bad looking, but she she thickens up I think a little bit as time goes on. She was pretty uh pretty tight and so. gets a little bit uh, Gina Carano on us, huh? Well, you know, she's not out there Martian marining all the time at a certain point. She's just kind of Yeah. I think it, maybe there's a lot of seeing her in power armor later on that kind of affects that. Yeah. Good character though. Don't really doesn't really need to be super hot. Technically maybe she should be a little bulkier. I don't know. Yeah. Neither does Gina Carano, so <laughs> So we've got uh we've got the introduction of her. I believe the second scene in this episode is where we, we get to see the aftermath of uh cancer. Oh yes. Yes. I all took a mega dose of uh, radiation in the second to last episode of the season one. And uh, now they're all in a med chair. And uh, Holden has himself a nice little interesting dream where he gets uh, crystallized by the proto molecule. So the, we got both of them are having fucking weird visions now. Yeah. Because we know for a fact that uh, what's his name has been dreaming about Julie Mao. Yeah, Miller. Which is kind of an extension of how he was anyways beforehand. But like now it's getting more vivid and more crazy. There's There's some interesting things in that. Because what do you do in that situation where, like, the guy in charge is, you know, going to die at some point? Yeah, that's a, that's a rough one. I mean, we're all going to die at some point. Just a question of uh, when. But uh, I guess in that guy's case, you know, it's going to be soon. <laughs> well, we think it's going to be soon. We don't know what medical technology is like in this world, I suppose. Yeah, that's true. You'd figure 400 years in the future, they should have at least 
cancer beat. I like how that that's taken off, like the 400 yeah. years in the future thing, because I'm pretty, bo- I have no idea how long in the future it is. I just say that arbitrarily. Yeah. Because it just makes sense. Yeah. It's sometime in the future. I imagine there'd be enough time for it to get to this point. Yeah. What else we got going on in here? We have uh, an attack on Havasarala's life. Yeah, that was uh, that was pretty funny. She got uh, saved by a shitty phone call. So <laughs> saved by a shitty phone call. Yeah. Now, who do you think actually did it? Because they're trying to say it was a an OPA faction. Yeah. That's, that's so. That's where we're all in this. They're trying to blame this whole thing on Fred Johnson and the OPA, right? And saying that they're the ones that have created these ships. Now, dude, the more the more I watch this, the more my like my opinion changes has changed a lot on the show. Since like getting that 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 little piece of information that I missed the first time through about Havasarala and like knowing that she's in on it now, right? Or like knowing that she knows what's in on it specifically, like she knows what's his name is behind trying to kill her. That's why she brings in the uh, that assassin slash spy to help you know be her right hand man. Yeah, who he's probably one of my favorite characters in the show too. I wish we got more of him than we're going to. Yeah, he's a great character actor. I wish he was just in more stuff. What else has he done? Uh, he was. Captain Boomerang in the uh, the Arrow verse uh, shows on the CW there for a little bit. Okay, and oh god, I want to say he was maybe in a couple of movies where he's like a little side character, but he, yeah, he's always pretty good in what he does. Yeah, he he's a, he's a real charming character. Like he 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 works real well in it, and and like he'll be around for a while, but ultimately, you know, it, with with any of these shows, like some people come, some people go, and especially when they're based off of books, because you know you'll have characters that only pop in for like parts of one story and stuff like that. Yeah, they're kind of weaving in and out of the stories. And I, I like that they set up this, this, this is, like, once again, it's all about human interactions. And they set up real well in this that her and him, like, she says, well, if, I'd, if you'd known it was me who called you, would you have shown up? And he's like, probably not. Yeah. And so clearly, but that conversation ends with them kind of being on the same page as to like, well, this is why you need to take this job and protect me. And so kind of begrudgingly, I don't want to, but maybe there's an enemy worse than you are. Yeah, he de- he definitely seemed a little conflicted about it because you can tell, like under the surface, he really does not like Avicerala at all. No, not at all. I get the impression that like he used to work with her son, based on uh, what, what the, the context. Yeah, seemed that way. So there's a couple a couple of other things that I found really interesting in this episode. Number one, we have the the big geopolitical stuff going on, and and you're you're getting to see it from both angles here. You they're they're giving us just enough to piece together like the Martian position, like how they're trying to play it versus the Earth position, how they're trying to play it. Now, no one since no one really knows what's going on, everyone assumes the other one's trying to bait them into war. Right. Or or at least the renegade factions of the UN want people to think that. The other thing that happens in this episode that was uh, probably the most interesting is like you get to see the vice chair of the UN talking to Mr. Mao. Yeah. And God, that's that scene is just so like uh, that's it's a tough one. Yeah, there was a lot of meat to chew on in that scene right there. Yeah, because he's complaining about like, well, look, I don't want some fucking trinkets out of this. Like, I'm not going to put my neck on the line and ruin what political capital I have for fucking, you know, what? One little one little station. Fuck that station. Why do I need to give a shit? Yeah. And then Mao gives it, you know, to keep to keep him invested. He's, he's like he offers his fucking daughter up as a sacrificial lamb. He's like, look, you know, this thing we were going up this tree. My daughter learned how to play how to shoot bow and arrow by herself. This tree. Right. And her death was worth it for the cause that we're we're on right now. Yeah. You know, so don't you fucking talk to me about sacrifice. 
and and it, it points out what we talked about a little bit last episode is that so there is this human part of him that understands like he de- clearly loves his daughter yeah but he has this true believer mentality that you know sees some greater good that even her death can justify yeah and people like that fucking terrify me yeah <coughs> bill gates <laughs> yeah you're willingly just able to just sacrifice a family member and your own daughter you know and i'm thinking about that with my own daughter i was like yeah no no i couldn't do it yeah not not really not really my, my place maybe they maybe he, that's just how he's justifying it to himself i suppose you know there is always that yeah and maybe that's not really how he feels but that's how he's telling himself he has to feel to deal with it well you tell a lie often enough it might become true right you want something to be human inside of him i guess so is why yeah. you kind of believe it so we've got all that going on this 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 episode, I will say, has my favorite scene out of out of the entire series, which is uh, so they're having a discussion with Miller, and he's like, "Well, I'm gonna go get some of this great coffee you guys are always talking about." Yeah, and then Miller goes and gets the coffee, and Amos is in there, and oh my god, it is just <laughs> it, it is Amos to a T. Where like he totally gets in Miller's face about. He's like, "Well, I mean, you know." If it we're gonna have a thing, we might as well get it over with now. Yeah, <laughs> and 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 the beauty of it is Miller's like, okay, fuck yeah, let's do this shit. He's like, yeah, you shot my friend, and uh... you know, I think I think Amos does a really good job of kind of explaining his position on it. Yeah, is like there is a, an inner logic to it that I don't think necessarily makes sense to anyone else, but it it certainly does to an Amos. <laughs> Needless to say, Miller does start swinging at him, and then what Amos will do is beats the shit out of him. It's like, stay down. And then he comes back at him, and Naomi has to come in and keep Amos from killing the guy. Yeah. So so we almost lose Miller, like, in the first episode of season two. Yeah, he was pretty close to getting choked out on that table there, so. Yeah, the the cancer doesn't kill him. Amos will. Yeah, there was definitely a brief little flash of Amos. It was like, oh, I could totally just snap this dude right now. So the, the the other moment that I think is really interesting is so even after all that, you know, Naomi has a conversation with him and they kind of commiserate as belters kind of having to deal with the world. Yeah. And so move forward. I think everyone's really looking for something that feels normal in this world. And so Alex has this brilliant idea to just, all right, everybody, you got to come down to the mess hall. We got some something important we got to talk about. Yeah. And the important thing they have to talk about is that he uh, he cooked lasagna. Yes. Because Italian food does make the world better and makes everything seem more normal. Well, our opinions are a little biased. Not at all. <laughs> I think that is objective fact. Yes. <laughs> what, did you, what, did you, what did everyone fill their cupboards with? Hopefully pasta sauce and noodles. We'll weather any, any food shortage with that. But what's, you think there's a moment in here where they kind of do the misdirect because Miller comes in. And like he's right in Amos's face, and he's telling this very, very cop-centric story, right? And ultimately, Amos, like th- this is the beauty of the character. This is why I love him so much. It's like everything's in the past for him. Yeah, like th- this escalates only if Miller wants it to escalate. There is no ill will by Amos. He will, but if he has to protect himself, he will to death. If right, so Miller sits down and he finishes out what I, which is a very interesting story because he like there's always the fact that he's a cop. Yeah. It's going to kind of keep him at arm's length with these people. And he does a, tells a story to kind of, I think, break the ice and show, well, we're not really all that different. Yeah. And it's the story about how basically they're all laughing about this one time that they used to have real cheese and how amazing the universe was. Yeah. 
And then he goes and talks about, yeah, well, you know, we confiscated it, all that contraband. And and that everyone's just like quiet as a pit. You can hear a pin drop. Yeah. And he goes, it's a funny thing, though. It all, all disappeared out of the evidence locker. And then he goes on to, you know, talk about how, well, the cops are just criminals the same as everybody else in this position. Yeah, they're just... Now, the thing is, does it make you really feel... Does it make you feel any better about them in the one hand or the other? It's like, right. well, you're the ones that get to have moral authority and still be pieces of shit. So it's kind of frustrating probably yeah. here. On the one hand... Well, it's pretty funny where they're getting all chewed out about the missing cheese and just the idea that there are curd bandits in the future. It is like, yeah, and while the governor was... uh Screaming and yelling at us, the whole room smells like cheese farts. Yeah. Well, and it's, I mean, those are the little things I think are probably the best about the show. It's like we're getting a firsthand lesson right now on, you know, how the food system works and way, ways that people don't usually think about. Yeah. I don't know if you've been on Uber Eats. There's a lot of uh, places with a lot of sold out shit on there. I can tell you that much right now. Yep. Like half their menus are gone in some places because finding, uh, finding certain products is becoming harder and harder to do. Yeah. And God knows if you have to have a heavily centralized system like you would in this case, because you have basically Earth supplying the entire universe. Right. Or the entire solar system, whatever. And in a centralized system like that, with you're, you're going to have issues with getting things to where things need to be. Yeah. Like, it, it can hum along sometimes in the best of circumstances, but, you know, your two major global power, major solar powers are at each other's throat. Pretty much. You know, companies don't necessarily want to interact with each other, like in the case of like right now, where we have China and America not being on friendly terms necessarily. Yep. And the status quo isn't always going to stand up necessarily. So it's interesting to kind of see how it played out for something like as simple as cheese, something we'd all take for granted. You know, you go to the fucking store, you buy cheese. Yeah. Sometimes it's not the best, but you can always find some cheese. Yeah. It's pretty much anywhere, like even a gas station will sell like little sticks of cheese. You know, it's like... Yeah. That's pretty ubiquitous in, in our timeline, at least. So that was pretty interesting. I think the, the last thing that comes to mind for me from this particular episode is actually, it's back to Gunny, who, in this entire episode, they're using her to help work out Mars's position in the Earth-Mars war. Yeah. And they work it out because she clearly has some differences of opinion against her uh, superiors as to what what they should actually be doing. You know, as her superior explains to her, you know, he lived through what was you know, basically the, when the split happened and Mars became Mars separate from the UN. Right. You know, and he, he regales tales of, you know, going to bed, wondering if he was going to wake up in nuclear fire and this was going to be the day. That's how his life lived. Yeah. And that's why they switched from all of their energy on terraforming to all of their energy into the Mars Navy. To defense. Yeah. And... And his position is that the Mars Navy is there to keep that war from ever happening so that they can reach the their future of terraforming. Yeah. The the other issue, however, is she puts it as like, well, what if the, you know, we never get to have our terraforming because of this stupid war? Yeah. She wants to fight it and just get it done. Yeah. Yeah. She wants to be able to put the resources towards the living as opposed to put the resources towards maintaining the status quo. Yeah. And there's a certain degree to which, like, God, it, it, it feels so accurate when you think about it because so much of, like, the way that our economic system works right now is based on the fact that our military keeps the status quo in the Middle East. You know, like, I was on uh, the Scottish Liberty podcast the other day talking to them about, you know, environmental shit. But one of the things we were talking about is we don't, like, when, when you're talking about renewables versus uh, fossil fuels, one of the things that we never seem to want to take into effect is the fact that in order to 
maintain the cost of or cheapness of our fossil fuels requires us to yeah. have the world's largest military that's ever existed posted in places, letting our kids die. Like the costs of the wars that maintain that balance. We don't really know what the cost of fossil fuels are because, well, that's an out, that's a cost that we're forcing all of the public to bear to make sure that they can stay. Yeah. Like it's a it's a, a frustrating thing to think about. And you're kind of caught in a position here like, well, what, what, what could we be doing better with our civilization if we weren't wasting all this fucking money? Like what are the real costs of any of this? Yeah. If we have to keep everyone in a constant state of fear. Yeah. Talk about the perverse incentives that go on just to uphold the petrodollar. So. Well, and, and in the case of Draper, it's it's interesting to me because I th- you see the position. I mean, in this episode in general, like you can look at the UN and see the different positions from the people that are in the military versus the people that are out of the military. Like in the case of okay, the, I believe it's the UN, uh, the leader of the UN. Is he a general? The black, the black guy. Um, yeah, he's like a security council head or whatever. And he's like trying to force this war. Is like any action that we take puts us dangerously close to war, and we don't want that, and they don't want that. And you know, it, it's the other people like that seem to want to force it no matter what. Because you have the other guy. I think it might. Act, I think is that the Asian dude actually is a general, and you can just tell he wants his war. He wants to go yeah. and do what soldiers do. Yeah, he also seemed like he was maybe just got his star or something like that. It's uh ready to prove himself. Yeah. And that's the thing you see you see like Gunny who wants to go and do the job that she was trained to do. Yeah. That's why they make they make a joke about hurry up and wait. Yeah. Which is, you know, what what soldiers are there to do. Hurry up and wait. Hurry up and wait. Be ready at all times for something you may never get to do. Yep. And it's it's like you create you create a weapon and then the weapon never gets to do what it's supposed to. It's there strictly for threat in most cases. And if you it's what one of those things that we, when Trump took over and he put more que- or more decisions in the hands of the military. That's a dangerous game to play because a military is you're giving a weapon the ability to decide what it does as opposed to be utilized for some other function. Yeah, you've basically just let the leash off of the attack dog. Yeah, it's frustrating. And I think that they do a really good job of kind of seeing how like we talked fog of war in the in a previous episode. Yeah. Like there's no clear how foggy shit is than in this episode. Right. Um this episode's awesome well, to tie kind of tie things up here because holy shit do they just they give you so much meat for like what's going to be in this season. Yeah, they set up a lot. Yeah. What what does Bobby Draper see on that screen? That she's watching off of those bombs that blow up Phoebe Station. You know, every every everybody has little pieces of puzzle that don't really make sense to them right now. Yeah, yeah. but when are these all going to kind of go together? One of the things that I, I I like narratively is that like going back and watching this a second time is that so they really knowing where Bobby's going to be at in two seasons. Like they they do such <laughs> a good job of setting her up in a way to make that story arc like all the more impactful. Yeah. Cuz like I mean they really set her up as like the the Martian super soldier down for the cause and if and when that that day changes like it's going to be a very stark change. I mean even in this season like I know it's coming, she has to be a true believer in the Martian Navy for all of it to kind of fall the way it does. Yeah. So it's a she makes a good character and I'm glad she's there. She's and by the way, she's there through through almost all the books that I've read. So she's <laughs> going to be around for a while. Oh, good. So we're not going to get Joss Whedon done this one. <laughs> <sighs> How the fuck did he create Firefly? 
Yeah. I'm going to ask that question at least once an episode. How did Joss Whedon create Firefly? I should be on the, like his business cards. It's just Joss Whedon and then, you know, just fucking right as his title. <laughs> fucking Joss Whedon. <laughs> so uh, is there anything else that I'm kind of forgetting in this episode? Let's see. Rasanante found the uh, the proto molecule on board. That's right. I did forget that. Yeah, and I was I was like, I know he's going to bring it up at some point. Yeah, you know, to me, like I, I care so little about the proto molecule because to me, it's just setting. Yeah, it's kind of the MacGuffin right now. Like it's super important to the story at this point, but like ultimately, it's just kind of a thing. Yeah. Yeah. So they crack open the safe that they pulled off of the uh, the ship that they salvaged, and they're gonna find out what's in it. And holy shit, when they find out what's in it, nobody's happy about it. Like I'm not fucking. It's like nah. We just tested all of these uh, all these belters that are on here with us, and, and they're cool. I ain't sleeping that shit on here. Like I can go find its own fucking place. So ultimately, what they do is they put it on a uh, what the hell do you call it? They put it on a torpedo. Space equivalent of a torpedo, yeah. Yeah, and then they kind of park the torpedo in the middle of a... Uh, Former asteroid mine. Yeah. And so now the protomolecule is just kind of sitting in the middle of nowhere, kind of like just geocaching, essentially. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> they just they just geocache the most dangerous thing anyone's ever seen in the universe. It's like, yeah, we know where it is, but it's well hidden enough that nobody else is going to find it, even if they fly right next to it. You know, I think it's. I can't remember who it is. I think it's with the Martians. We find out that this is definitely extrasolar. Yeah, that was uh, part of the package with the proto molecule. They found like all the data logs from that's, the that's scientist right. in the last season. Yeah, yeah, and they're finding out that oh shit, this thing's like alien tech. tech. Yeah. So now we've got now there's aliens in the mix at least in. Some some form or function, you know, are they, you know, just these little, you know, the amoebas that we always hear about alien wise or what? Yeah. Oh, the other thing that we didn't, that we didn't mention is, you know, we finally get some steamy action between, uh, Oh, Naomi and Holden. Yeah. I'm not gonna lie. It's pretty, pretty hot. Which by the way, if you're watching that whole scene, you kind of see it coming. It's like, okay, yeah, we're just going to undress each other. No, no problem. Yeah. Oh yeah. They set that up so early. Like you're just kind of <laughs> like, really guys, like, are we, are we broadcasting it like this? Yeah. You know, she takes off and she's just in her bra and her like uh, her the, 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 the suit and it's like pulled down and all of a sudden yeah. like, let's get Holden out of his clothes. And then they're just <laughs> standing there topless and she's behind him like, look, guy, did, were you directing porn before this? Because... Like it's it's so fucking obvious. Like you could you could just put up a like not even good stuff. It's like Skinamax. Oh yes, exactly. (laughs) You could just put up a giant billboard. People gonna fuck. (laughs) Somehow Evan Stone ends up in the scene. (laughs) Jesus Christ. (laughs) So yeah, Uh, what else do you got? Anything else we kind of missed in there? Kind of go over my notes here. There's just a lot that happened in the episode, and they kind of bounced around a lot. Yeah, there was a, a meaty, meaty episode. It's like a, a Campbell's Chunky Soup of an episode. Ah, I do like, I like me some Campbell's Chunky Soup. So much stuff in there. Um, no, I think we got everything. I mean, I think the proto-molecule bit was probably the biggest thing that we uh, forgot about. But um, yeah, that's it. No. Check this director, see if he's actually directed any Skinamax stuff. <laughs> That'd be hilarious. <laughs> it's going to be like Weekend Temptations is going to be in there somewhere. <laughs> oh my God. No, none of that. Uh, but he did direct that uh, shitty movie Sahara with uh, Matthew McConaughey from. Oh well, I mean that wasn't that all that was, anyways. Too an excuse to get Matthew McConaughey out of a shirt in the desert. That movie was so bad that the author of the books said, "Please don't put my name on it," and he tried suing. <laughs> what is it? There's another good movie where like the author did that. I can't remember what the hell it is offhand. That's not the first time I've heard someone say that. Like I want no credit for any of this. <laughs> 
I am ashamed. Don't even my, put the based on the books by. <laughs> yeah, I am ashamed that anything could have like inspired this to happen. So yeah, why don't we get our, our FAQ thing or you know our, our technicals and we'll let everybody get going. Okay, so uh, season two, episode one, titled "Safe," uh, directed by Breck Eisner, uh, written by Mark Fergus and Hawk Ots, uh, Ostby. Uh, originally aired February first, two thousand seventeen, had a 0.7 share of the viewers. So uh, that's a that's a climb, right? A little bit of a pickup from the yeah. That's a season opener. Those usually do pretty okay. Yep. So here's a question for you. I mean, safe. Do you at any point in this episode really feel like anything is truly safe, or is it kind of like meant to be an ironic title that like just shit momentarily hasn't popped off? Safe for the moment. Probably uh, missing a few words there. <laughs> yeah, I, we did kind of not address the fact. So uh, Eros that they were just on now kind of exists in the universe it's as a quarantine zone. Right. You know, and there's a lot of uh, discussion about that. One, well, I think uh, Miller actually says, says in there, like, well, that's probably that's exactly why they chose Eros is because no one's going to fucking ask questions. It's just a bunch of sh- piece of shit belters who fucking cares. Yeah, it's way out there that even on a clear night you couldn't even see it with your with your naked eyes. So yeah, so you know what what is going to become of those people? I know. Do any of you know? <laughs> Does Eric dun, dun, even dun. know yet? No, not yet. Not yet. We're just we're just catching up for you. <laughs> Proto molecule zo- zombies, my guess. Proto molecule zombies. Is this going to become a zombie show? Oh, I only hope. Can we get a Daryl and Carol? Ugh, gross. <laughs> Carol Baskins. What? Huh. I've, huh? just, I've just officially dated this to anyone who didn't know. Apparently, it's the, it's just, this happened in the summer that the Tiger King swept the world. Oh my God. <laughs> uh, looking forward to Nick Cage playing uh, old uh, Tiger King there. So if you're listening to this in the future, you know, no spoilers. Don't tell me how, how it turns out. <laughs> how did it turn out? Well, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's Nick Cage, so it's either going to be one of the greatest movies ever made or one of the worst. Nothing in the middle happens from Nick Cage. That was that was actually part of an episode of uh, Community by uh, Dan Harmon. So, is Nick Cage a good actor or a bad actor? Nick Cage, Dan Harmon makes the the greatest content in the world. He just happens to be the shittiest human being on the planet. Yeah, like I can't think of a single thing he's ever made that I dislike. Harmon Town, <laughs> his podcast. Now that that's over, <laughs> I don't know. Well, didn't that end when he like went crazy and like told people to go and like beat the shit out of their neighbors if they suspected them of being Nazis, which is just basically mean person. Yeah, no, they had like a big old finale and everything, and then um, what was the other one? He had that uh, Dungeons and Dragons esque uh, show. Yeah, Harmon Quest is awesome, yeah. but it's hard to fucking get unless you want to go and get Crunchyroll or some shit. Which yeah, it was on CISO. That is no longer a thing. Well, that's the thing. I used to watch it on CISO. Yeah, and then I could no longer get CISO, and then. Okay, well, I guess I stopped watching the show now. Yeah. I'm glad you made it so fucking hard for me to find. Yeah. Yeah, thanks for putting something out there that, you know, I need a treasure map to get. Yeah, this isn't a fucking 1920 speakeasy, bruh. <laughs> it's your career. Yeah, exactly. I mean, maybe he wants his career to end. I often get that impression from some of his reactions to things. Just doing everything you can. I was like, please ban my account. <laughs> that being said, I will, I will forever stick up for his... Uh, that bit he did about Dexter. He had a pretty good bit about Dexter, the uh, serial killer show on Showtime. Well, no, he did a he did a parody uh, where it was a uh, child molester. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember you talking about that. It was a child molester with a heart of gold, and yeah. I'm sorry, yes, it's distasteful, but that's fucking hilarious. Yeah, 
specifically because of it, how juxtaposing it is. Like, okay, well, well, okay, the heart of gold guy who's a murderer, but then the guy who's a child molester, we don't. No, they both are fucking awful. <laughs> like, whoa, whoa. Yeah, just terrible human beings. Like, why are we making such minor gradations? Like, just, yeah, awful fucking people. Can we get? Can we deal with that? So, all right, Eric. Well, I'm going to go, and you have a good Sunday with the family, brah. Uh, we'll try. I will definitely try. All right, bud. You have yourself a good one. All right, Nikki P. We'll check you out later. <laughs>